You're a musician, aren't you, Dave? Yes, I am. What instrument do you play? Drums. Well, uh, we'll count that. When you love a show on WPSC Brave New Radio at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays, that would answer all your questions about how the music business works. Sort of like a Music Biz 101. Exactly. Wait, isn't there a show on at that time called Music Biz 101 and more that brings faculty and students from WP's music and entertainment management programs together with industry guests that take call-in questions and tweets from listeners about the biz? Yep, it's had all last spring and it's starting up again every Wednesday at 8 p.m. right here on 88.7 WPSC. Yes! There were great guests like Steve Lees from Sirius Radio and Aaron Van Dyne, who handles business affairs for KISS, Three Doors Down, Dave Matthews Band, and more. Also, Carl Guthrie, legendary entertainment attorney, and Paul Sinclair, VP of Digital for Atlantic Records. So, Steve, who's lined up for this semester? We have Dave Laurie, who will talk about tour management, Sean Rosenberg, a social media guru, and Sean and Rachel from Blue Raven Entertainment, just to name a few. Wow, sounds great. And it's free. That's right. Free advice every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. live at Music Biz 101 and more on WPSC 88.7 Brave New Radio. I look for Philip Gorachowski. Producer of Music Biz 101 and more. I couldn't find him anywhere. So I went and I found Dr. Stephen Marcone. He's doing this without tenure. <laughs> Dr. Stephen Marcone. You see how I went into my falsetto? You see, I did that without any practice. I just it's the out. holiday season. And we want to say shalom to everyone who is celebrating tonight. And we are, you know, one week from. Christmas Eve. <laughs> That's right. One week from Christmas Eve, and happy shalom to everybody. Shalom. God. <laughs> happy shalom to everybody out there. This is Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio 88.7. And we have a great show. WPSC, yes, it's going to be a very... No, this is a great show thing. because we went out of our uh, sort of realm because we have a musician business person yes. rather than just a business person here tonight. Yes. He's so it's going to be exciting both. for both the musicians and the people that want to know about the business. That's right, because if you have questions about royalties, live gigs, entertainment law, or more, we have answers, because this is the only free advice college radio, music, and entertainment. So who is, is with us tonight? Why do you always... Uh, this because is my spiel. we talked about it. But though. I still got to do the spiel, oh, okay, though. okay, go Hold Talk show and podcast in all of America on the earth. Okay, so we have a guest tonight. His name is Jim Nellia with a silent G, so I don't even know why it's there, but he is the personnel manager for the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra, and he is also quite handy with the drumsticks. Yes, and he's a music contractor as well. Right, and he can maybe explain the difference between all those three things. Sure. I'm Professor Dave Brock ah. Philip. This is Dr. Steve Marconi across yes, from us. Yes, we're very honored to Gorkowski. have a musician and a business person who has actually done what many musicians would consider their dream job and their dream life, and that is to have some security with an orchestra position and in management of the orchestra as well, plus to be able to contract various shows that come into town, which is always exciting, and also be a player himself. So, Jim, how did you do all of this? We have three minutes. Go ahead. <laughs> well, thanks for having me here. This is, uh, I've been waiting and looking forward to getting on the air and being able to share some of these stories and um, things that took place over over the past, say, 30 years. Mm -hmm. I started here at William Patterson right, a bunch of years ago with uh, Ray DeRoche and Eddie Fay and, and the rest of the group who was hanging out there. And 
And somewhere along the line, after after I, I left this school and I went on to New York, uh, my dean asked me to put something together. Some big guest was coming into New York, and they said, we need someone to hire some musicians. And I didn't understand. what I had no idea what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So um, I decided, all right, well, I'll, I'll, this is what my dean's asking me to do, so I'll do it. Mm-hmm. But what happened was um, from the time that I got the phone call or, you know, the invite into his office to the time that we had the performance at Tully Hall and then, you know, paychecks went out and I was driving home, I realized that that was about as cool as it got for me and that, uh, (laughs) you know, I saw something start from the very beginning and I saw it, uh, you know, finish. Exactly. I was extremely pumped and that was the start of something new, as they say. Right. So you have been also a very active percussionist. Both here and across the pond, as they would say. Yeah, I, I was fortunate to, to hold a position in uh, in the Czech Republic for about nine years with the Czech Radio Symphony. And basically my position there was to play timpani, but I was living still in New Jersey. Ah. <laughs> so I was commuting, uh, you know, for the nine-hour, ten-hour flight. And, uh, you know, it, it took a little bit of a toll on me, but I got to learn a lot about, um, about travel and with that orchestra, we hit probably 35, 40 countries mm-hmm. as, you know, as guest artists in a sense of or right. in, invitees, you know, right. to go and do that. But you get to see a lot of things unfold before your eyes. And you got you got to watch um, how, how your bosses or management put things together and with the best intentions. And it all just crumbled in front of your eyes. Nine times out of 10, there'd be huge problems that you didn't know how you were going to resolve. Mm-hmm. And little by little, I started to resolve and I started to take it upon myself. And I said... I, I could do this on my own. I, I don't need anybody else. I'm going to do this. And I, I, I started a company a bunch of years uh, a bunch of years ago. Good. And you wrote a book, which is a very interesting book. <laughs> yeah, I did. That uh, really tells a story about being uh, a freelance musician as well as being someone who has to wear the other hat sometimes and enjoys wearing the other hat. It's called Onward and Upward. And it is actually required reading, you were telling me, at... Uh, the Steinhardt School at NYU and, and in uh, at Ithaca College at Ithaca, very good. And, and you know, I've I've um, I've, I've been really when I wrote this book, um, I had no idea what I was doing I, in mm-hmm. the sense that I didn't have a real message that I wanted to get out. I had all this stuff in my head, right. and I wanted to just get it on paper. Right. And, and it was another one of those projects I wanted to see from start to finish, like everything I mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. And and you know. I try to do everything as passionately as I can. I like to eat passionately and walk passionately and play my drums passionately mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. write passionately. And, and, and I think being a musician, that, that sure. kind of seeps into everything that we Absolutely. do. Absolutely. So I decided to put these, uh, these stories together and you know, working with various people and all the mistakes that I made along the way, mm-hmm. which are vast. I'm, I'm sure that you read it. Yes. But um, I, I was on my way here thinking about you know, what message or this or what it is I could speak about. And I realized that today is the two-year anniversary of its publication. Wow. So today was the day that it came out. And before I left, uh, before I left my, o- my home office, I went on to Amazon, and it's still at number two. And it, it's two years later, wow. and it's holding at number two for, for most of this time. I've been at 10 and 8, mm-hmm. but, but somehow, <laughs> Great. Through, the, through the reviews and so forth, they've pushed me up. So Amazon is, uh, is well-stocked now for the holidays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, the book sells out pretty quickly. Good. That's great. What what list number two on what? It's list? for um, autobiographies okay. and uh, for artists and and so forth. But the 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 intention for writing the book, like I said, was just to get all this stuff out of my mm-hmm. head. Mm-hmm. But what happened was um, a lot of on, entrepreneurial programs in universities 
um, I was sent complimentary copies out because that's what you do when you're, mm-hmm. when you're an author. Yes. And, uh, and and there was I've generated a lot of interest. I've done a lot of uh, guest lectures and, you know, I have a whole presentation. Great. You know, Great. It's, it's a fun thing. You mentioned uh, you started your own company, right? We can't overlook, we can't overlook <laughs> started, that. It's a well, minor part in your, uh, in your life. But uh, tell us a little bit about that. Quick thing yeah. before we get sure. into that. It was unclear at the beginning. Jim is the father of Philip, who just spoke. Philip, I think it's been pretty clear. You've been mentioning it every week. I know. <laughs> so it's it's very much. Philip Gorachowski, who is our... You're, you're ruining this entire thing, because I wanted to interview him without anybody knowing that I'm his son. But, uh, yeah. And well, the DNA testing just came back. That's why. And he is and the son. And I'll add that as long as we're going to embarrass everybody, he's a great son, and I'm proud to, oh, I'm proud to be great. here with and, all of you. And he's so he's, handsome. He's he so good-looking, But he did ask you a question. He did ask me a question, and... So again, living back and forth between New Jersey and and the Czech Republic, um, I was seeing all things uh, with touring go wrong, and a lot of things go right, and but, mm-hmm. but mostly go wrong. And I decided that um, I had a lot of friends now. I was developing in the business, and I would sit and spend time with them because they spoke English. And I was uh, I was learning Czech, and it was a, a crash course, and I was doing my best with it. But um, I was able to get by. Like, please don't rob me and where's the bathroom you know things like that i could say but um it made me think one day uh, i came to this realization i was in stefan's plots in vienna and i remember it clearly and i said i could do this i could do it better than what's out there mm-hmm. you know now mm-hmm. and i think i could find my own niche mm-hmm. so I, I came home i did some research and at the time my my nephew was I think he was, I don't know, 10 or 11 years old. And I said, I have to come up with a name that's kind of catchy. And and Johnny said, uh, he said, well, I said, I wanted to be something with arts, you know, because I want to be at the front of the directory, arts. Yes. And, with an a. Right. and he said, why not call it Arts Alive? Uh-huh. And, you know, A-A. so that I made it Arts Alive International and then later on Inc. And, right. and uh, the business um, for the first five or six years took off. Mm-hmm. And, and it took off in such a way that, um, you know, it's like, when people want to be a part of something really cool, mm-hmm. um, they gravitate towards what's successful and they want to be a part and they want to jump on. It's like when you go to a concert and the concert hall is full, it's an event all of a sudden. It's epic. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're, yeah, Take Six was just with us and, mm-hmm. and the people came flocking out to hear them. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to be a part of that. And my business went from making very little money for the first six months to making a complete living. Mm-hmm. Aside of my personnel managing, aside of uh, my playing, aside of renting instru- percussion instruments right. you know, and doing everything else. Yeah. And it was huge. And what happened ultimately about 10 years later was the government caught hold of me and said, um, that the people who were working for me were my employees, but but they weren't. They were people I was sending out on jobs. And um, mm-hmm. um, so I got into a big discussion, and they, they fined me uh, over $12,000, mm-hmm. which I, I fought them on very hard. And I said, I'm going to embarrass you in Trenton. And, and I, cause I showed them all this data of, mm-hmm. of how they screwed it up. But ultimately, I paid a fine of about $2,000, mm-hmm. and I decided that the stress of that whole six- or eight-month period was overwhelming, right. and I dissolved the, I dissolved the, uh, company, the company. Uh-huh. But what I gained from that, I mean, aside of you know the the financial gain sure. was the knowledge that I was able then to to bring to the next level, and I started working for uh, Joan Rivers and Johnny Mathis and mm-hmm. Don Rickles mm-hmm. and you know all these other people, and 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 then uh, Brian Stokes Mitchell would come in, and, mm-hmm. and the next level of of artists were coming, were were you know dialing my phone. Mayor Giuliani, when he was the mayor of of New York City, it was mm-hmm. it was a blast for his reelection. They they called me up and said, "Hey, we want you to put together a, an orchestra to play mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Where where is this place in uh in Staten Island, where the Yankees? Because you know he's a big 
Yeah. But Giuliani was a big opera buff. Right. So he conducted the orchestra and the anvil chorus, you know. Right. <laughs> and we hired everybody. Right. And there was, right. I had an, an open checkbook to do this concert. So I just, I went berserk. So you actually then, uh, to be a contractor, you uh, became friends with concert promoters or the promoters of the shows? Okay. okay. More than agents. Yeah, I would not get in touch with the agents because the agents would call up, uh, uh, let's say, the NJ Pack or or the venue. They would call the venue yeah, up and, and say, get a hold on so-and-so is coming in. Mm-hmm. And then the venue would say, hey, Jim, we need you to book musicians right. for X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. So that's the way it started. And, and But it snowballed so quickly. It was There was a lot more money in the 90s you know, to do this sure. stuff. There was a sure. lot more money. And things have dried up. But you know, I always think to myself, for, for the younger folks and it's you have to try to create a niche in what you do and and be you know have some pop Mm -hmm. if you create the niche it'll follow you you know the the attractions there there's two words that he used that we've used Uh in 28 shows (laughs) entrepreneur which he is of course (laughs) and finding that niche Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. exactly so as a percussionist oh yeah (laughs) my recollection my orchestral experience which was quite lengthy in the 70s was that uh the respect is not really there for the percussionist in terms of the conductor sometimes. And uh, you mentioned a couple of little stories in the book here. Oh, I know I know where you're going. I know you had you're... one with some wood blocks that you actually... Uh... That was a really bad experience. But mm-hmm. you know, I could share it with you in, yes. I'll, well, in, sure. in, in a nutshell because um, it's a very... Uh, I really elaborate a great deal on this on this story. Um, I was young. I want to start by saying I was young. Mm-hmm. So I was inexperienced in the sense that I should have had better self-control. And if you if you look at this book um, on Amazon, you could you could read some of this. I have mm-hmm. there's a lot of uh, portions of the book that are available. Mm-hmm. And I think I titled this chapter Cluck Cluck because it was all about a, playing a woodblock in a Gershwin in right. a Gershwin work. And I was waiting for years to get this phone call to go and play with this particular orchestra. It was down uh, south below New Jersey somewhere, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. north of the Mason-Dixon line. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, I go in and I finally got the call and, and it was eight services. So there were four rehearsals and right. four performances. Right. I mean, at the time it probably paid, you know, whatever, Whatever, eight hundred yeah. bucks for, but it was a. T- I was I was nineteen, twenty years old. I don't know. It was a ton of money. Yeah, you imagine. Sure. So of course I, I accepted, and and um I get hired specifically just to play the woodblock. It was seven percussionists. It could have been um one of the Gershwin one of the bigger mm-hmm. Gershwin works. So I went down to my my studio and I took like seven or eight different woodblocks, like thirty different mallets of of hardness to soft, mm-hmm. to get just the right. <laughs> feeling for, right. for, for my notes, you know. Sure. So I get down there, and and the conductor, um, he had a reputation of, of um, of really picking on the new kid on the block, mm-hmm. and I was the new kid on the block for this particular uh, day or week, and um, I was I was just waiting and waiting and counting down four two three four three two three, and I'm ready I'm ready to play. I play one note, and he stops the orchestra, and he just says. Uh, I need a warmer sound from you. I need a warmer <laughs> sound. And, and I said, oh, okay. So I, I, I took a, a mallet that had less of an attack, you know, right. less sharp. Yeah, softer. And I'll go, four, two, three, four, three, two, three. <laughs> and, ready. And, I play, and I hit one note. He stops the orchestra and says, I told you I need a warmer sound. And now my toes are kind of curling, yeah. you know, under my feet. And, and I, I'm feeling, you know, I don't want to jeopardize my stay. With, right. I, I've been waiting literally two years probably. Mm-hmm. I felt I was good enough to be in this position, and, mm-hmm. and I'd, I'd worked very hard to 
to get this phone call to get the job. Mm-hmm. There was nothing I could do. I'll cut to the chase. There was nothing I could do to to play warm enough for him. Mm-hmm. So I took a lighter out. I was a smoker at the time, which I quit many, many years ago. And I put uh, the lighter underneath the wood block and I, I lit it and I asked him if that was warm enough at which time he fired me of course <laughs> so, but the, the story goes that the, the personnel manager which now I could relate to the personnel yeah. manager came to me and he said I'm really sorry you know you're dismissed with pay they paid me for right, a week right. you're dismissed but I really want to thank you for standing up to the conductor <laughs> and put, nobody's ever put him in his place before well the first uh, I that's worked a true story Syracuse Symphony yeah for years, and the first conductor was, uh, I believe his name was Karl Kritz. He was an old uh, German and supposedly a disciple of Mahler and so on. Mm-hmm. And I had never once, and I played, he, he actually had a heart attack on stage and eventually died, but I probably paid with, played with him for about two years or so. Uh, and he never called the, uh, the percussionist anything but this. He would just look down in his score and he'd look up and he'd go, Noise! Oh, what gosh. do you have it? And they laugh. You <laughs> of know. course they laugh. But that's all it was. It was never woodblock. It was never snare. I th- Noise. I think what, what happens have? is is uh, probably from from uh, concert band or you know when you're in high school. Yeah. The people who were they didn't know what to do with with them. They put them in the percussion section. Yeah, of course. And then as percussionists, there's less to do than there is for yeah. somebody else who's playing constantly. Right. So we got that reputation, but right. I, I mean, fortunately, at the level where where the New Jersey Symphony is, um, we're very well respected, yeah, and, and you know, we do our job. And I mean, it, it, it's always it's always difficult when our sense of time is a little bit. Um, we have to be a little bit ahead of mm-hmm. of, of where the conductor's conducting, just so our mm-hmm. sound produces. Right, because we're thirty, you know, thirty five right. feet. Well, many away. times we never look at the conductor. Anyway. I try not to look ever. <laughs> yeah, I just I, mean, were, I keep my head. I down. learned very quickly. I think one of the first rehearsals <laughs> I was at, you know, I said, "How come you guys are coming in? I can't come in with you." What? Are you, you're not looking at the conductor. I heard well, no. Look at the concert master. Yeah, follow the right. bow. I follow the front. follow the bow. Forget about that's the it. conductor. You know he's that's, just there for show. That's exactly. And right. I learned that. Sure. Now, a big portion of your career took place overseas. Yeah. And I feel that a lot of students don't really take that into consideration. That there's this whole other side of the the planet that they no. could be uh, playing. So, how did you get involved? Because I mean, a lot of people just look for jobs here, but there's a ton there. There's there's more work. I mean, Europe is more accepting and more open uh, to classical music. It always has been, although that's, subsidized. Too. Yeah, yes. you know, and and even jazz in like in in Paris or sure. I mean, jazz is huge, and and somehow that's that's what we gave the world was jazz. That's what mm-hmm. the United States gave the world, but Europe gave us classical music. You know, and that's our that's their gift. So there was at one time when when the uh, when when Germany was separated. Um, something like 200 orchestras within like, you know, a a 20 mile radius. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm exaggerating, of course, but it was some absurd number. Mm -hmm. And uh, a a conductor, when I was at Manus, at the Manus School in in New York, um, he was just a few years older than I was. He won a job in West Germany or in West Germany. And Mm -hmm. he said to me, um, he would write and he'd say, you really should come and, and, and play in Europe because there's so much more opportunity and, and everybody's making music. Mm-hmm. So I thought about it and um, uh, I had an opportunity later on in life, well, a few years later, where um, I got called to do a tour 
It paid very little, but it was um, in Spain. And I said, I've never been to Spain before. I'm going to go to Spain, sure. and I'm, I'm going to go play my drums. We were playing West Side Story and mm-hmm. all this nonsense. Mm-hmm. And it was great to, to go and play these these great American uh, pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, we did An American in Paris, uh, Chichester Psalms. It was just all American, sure. great great music, huge chorus. Mm-hmm. And we toured around for uh, probably you know two weeks or so. And I um, I met this gentleman there who, uh, uh, who was... Uh, sitting on the street, we were watching some guys play bocce, you know, <laughs> and he was sitting on the street, but he, I looked at him, and he was obviously an American, he wasn't a Spaniard, so he um, uh, he he and I had a nice exchange, and we just started talking. This is a great lesson, because you never know who you're going to meet, where, or when, mm-hmm. and I always tell this story that, that when, um, I'll come back to this, but if, if the, the person that you can't stand, who's in your or, your your school orchestra, could be your boss one day. Yeah, you know, so you really can't burn bridges. And the other thing you have to do is you have to be totally responsible with what you're putting out there on social media, mm-hmm. because that will come back and bite you in the butt. It'll mm-hmm. come back and bite you hard. Mm-hmm. And the reason I bring that up is because this gentleman who I met in uh, in Europe in Spain befriended me, and and before I knew it, it was him. It was this guy who ran the tour he's he, he was yeah. the, the honcho wow and but he he got on with me so well and he thought i was this kind of creative bright you know young guy he hired me for another one and yeah. another one and yeah. another one and he introduced me ultimately to my colleagues in the czech republic and i'll tell you i mean i can't get seven years has passed so i can't go to jail for this but he used to do projects where we would pay everything in cash mm. this is before the euro this is way be- right. the euro is what 2001 2002 something Whatever. like that. some yeah. but the euro took three years for it to to to, to go from from whatever yeah. currency to the euro so and each country kind of jumped along on yeah, the train right you know, right right it took, a, it took it took many and there's right. still there's still there's still even yeah, some, debates some over, still out there yeah. Yeah. but anyway he um he would have me like strap you know fifty thousand dollars to my leg my chest and I would go and fly and I'd have to pay the the, the musicians in the in the Czech Republic <laughs> and what they would get a hundred dollar bill for like a week's worth of work mm-hmm. which was more than they made in you know six months right. I mean American though I'm not joking yeah, yeah this was it was extraordinary and it was after the the um uh, the the of the revolution and it was November of 1989 mm-hmm. and, and all of a sudden these kids are like they could do whatever they want they mm-hmm. weren't under you know communism right. was over man right? and they were cool about it but the parents were a little bit more nervous mm-hmm. and then the, the grandparents were petrified right. life is they couldn't even understand what life was all about anymore but yeah. that's what got me into Europe and, and it was this guy who I met by chance and because I, I have this kind of bubbly personality I think and we just got on very well and you know, be careful. Everybody that you're speaking to could be an opportunity. You know, I just heard a story on NPR about a week ago where they said the quality of your life actually improves and you become in a better mood if you're sitting next to somebody, say, on a bus and you don't know the person and you oh, strike I up a conversation. Yeah. It actually physically improves your health. Oh, wow. I believe that. Yeah. I really and just, believe that. And, and so I tried it this, this weekend. I was at a Starbucks and I was sitting next to this woman and her hair was all over the place, but it was cool. Then I said, you know, you, you have the coolest hair. And she started smiling and she was thanking me. We start talking for a couple minutes, you know, and it totally, and so, so that's it, you know, break out of that comfort yeah. zone and, and talk to people. The, 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 I got the job with the New Jersey Symphony as personnel manager 11 years ago. I've been playing with the orchestra for 16 or 17, but the, the job, and, and I'm convinced, and I mean, I have some talent in this in this field, but I'm convinced the reason that I came, uh, I, I stood out amongst all the people who applied was because my basic philosophy of life, especially at work, is that if I'm smiling and 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 I'm I'm. 
presenting myself in such a, a positive way, it's it's conducive to the musicians having the best vibe mm -hmm. for them to perform at mm -hmm. the highest level. Absolutely. Instead, because I, I know these contractors where I go to work, and I, I'm just afraid even to pull my sticks out yeah, of the bag of because they're 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 looking at me like I've they want to kill too, me. Right? You know, you don't. That's sure. it's nonsense. So I made it my business, and that's the difference between a contractor and a personnel manager. Mm -hmm. Are we running short? No, we're, no, we're good. Yeah, so we're good. so the the. Um, the, I was a contractor for I've been for 30 years as a contractor and a contractor really means that um, if you do something that I don't like on a job I could fire you on the spot you're mm -hmm. done it's over um, it also means that I put together an orchestra from zero to 50 or whatever the number of players is required mm -hmm. a, a personnel manager is governed by his collective bargaining agreement yes and the collective bargaining agreement is what's put in place to protect all of the players under that umbrella mm -hmm. and my job number one job aside of making the mus um, the musicians giving them a comfortable environment is to uphold the letter of the cba yeah. of the collective bargaining agreement. right and that is challenging at times because the written word it needs flexibility because mm -hmm. in, in theory it works okay i wrote it down it's got to work mm -hmm. but when in practice when things are really moving quickly, it, sometimes the language doesn't work, mm -hmm. and you have to find a way to to mm -hmm. bend the rule while still holding uh, holding true to to what the intent was. So it's interesting. I like the work. And you had uh, as the personnel manager of the symphony orchestra. You talk about in the book "Onward and Upward" by Jim Nellia, who is our guest on Music Is One and More. You talk about an uh, a situation uh -oh. where you were the personnel manager and somebody who was working for you in the symphony orchestra got upset with something you said at a show, at a gig in the city. And then he, you ended up going to, I don't want to say arbitration, but you had an... Oh, you know what I'm talking about? I know exactly what you're talking about. And, okay, all right. So this was the only chapter in the book that I said, maybe I shouldn't put this in there because <laughs> it, it, I really had to soften it up because it was dark. It was a really dark chapter. But, but my editor, when my editor read it, he said to me, I think you should leave this in because really I poke fun at myself for my, my error mm -hmm. and my shortcoming in, mm -hmm. in this particular story. Mm -hmm. But um, without getting like... You should buy the book just for that story alone. To be honest with that, that's that's a juicy one. But um, I I was innocently asking about somebody's health because they were supposed to be working with me at 10 a.m. and they called in sick, which is fine. You're allowed a certain number of sick days. And um, I later on in the day saw a colleague on another job who plays the same Broadway show as the sick colleague, mm -hmm. and I said, "Oh." was so-and-so in at the matinee today because mm -hmm. they called in sick for the symphony. Mm -hmm. And if you double dip, you get fired. If you get sick pay from yeah, me right. and you go to work somewhere else at the same time, you lose your contract before you before you even get a phone call. You're fired. It's over. Mm -hmm. And I hate to see something like that happen, but I've seen it happen in my tenure. Mm -hmm. But what happened was um, the person uh, found out that I asked, and it was innocent. I swear it was innocent. Right. But but as it unfolded, it didn't look very innocent. It looked like I didn't trust them. Yeah, and probably part of me didn't trust them. Right. But, but I know that they're not dumb enough to, to double dip. But I challenged it, and it came back to bite me hard mm. um, because the grievance process uh, is 15 days in New Jersey. And he didn't grieve it. Mm -hmm. But in New York, as a colleague, you can't speak ill about another colleague at all, it's against the bylaws mm -hmm. of the bylaws of the union? of the federation yeah, okay. of the federation American Federation of the American of Federation of right. Musicians, and that is some deep doo doo, <laughs> and you don't want to mess with that stuff. And so, and you have up to six months to grieve, and he grieved up to six months. And I got a call from lawyers and attorneys, and you name it. And you know what I told them all? 
I'm not going anywhere. You want to fight me? You come on my turf. Mm-hmm. And I held strong to it. I won. I won ultimately the, the arbitration. Mm-hmm. But um, I learned from that mishap, you know, it's better to keep your mouth shut. And I should have uh, taken um, some of my own medicine right. by always trying to be positive. But even people who are trying to be positive, can, you know, we're not perfect. We're not, <laughs> we make mistakes, you mm-hmm. know, so... Anyway, that was a good Okay, well, we're going to have a little bit more of that coming up because we need to take a quick break. We're with Jim Nellia on Music Biz 101 and more, Brave New Radio WPSC. Right after the break, we are going to uh, have more questions. We have your tweets. We're going to talk about unions. We're going to talk about writing the memoir, things like that. And then we also, at the end of the show, we're going to talk about who won the big Music Biz 101 and more theme song contest. That's right. Tonight's the night. Tonight is the night. So stay tuned for that, and we will be right back. Music Biz 101 and more. How can I make money in the music business? Why copyright? Should I make a CD anymore? Trying to break into the music and entertainment biz? Wondering how the business works? Wondering how guys like Elton John and MC Hammer go bankrupt? Why am I not making any cash? Tune in to WP Brave New Radio every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. Hang with the University's Music Business Faculty hosts, me, Steve Marconi. And me, Dave Phil. Plus, we'll have industry guests and students from the Music Management Program. How do I get gigs down at the shore? Call in with your questions and hear the latest in industry happenings. How do I get my music on iTunes? How do I get on a tour? It's Music Biz 101 and more every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Only on WP Brave New Radio. Your secretary's got our checks, right? Mine's direct deposit, I think. (laughs) If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP 88.7, Brave New Radio. We got managers, producers, record labels, concert promoters galore. Wednesday at 8 p.m. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. That's right. We're living in the limelight, the universal dream. <laughs> Jim, Jim Nellia, you are living the limelight. Right? You are in the limelight now. I on like Music that Biz intro, man. That's nice. That's very cool. And uh, yeah, I'm a beatboxer, pretty much. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm a human boxer. I've, I've a welterweight champion. Really? I don't tell a lot of people about that. So, <laughs> I'm just so strong. But we are with uh, Jim Nellia, personnel manager of New Jersey Symphony Orchestra. He's also a contractor. He's also a percussionist. He's been around for a long time. Also a Went author of uh, Onward and Upward, which I'm holding up in my left hand right now. Everybody can uh, not see that right now. But if you follow us on Twitter, at Music Biz, uh, Music Biz 101WP, I put a picture of that. I also put it up on our uh, Instagram as well, which is Music Biz 101WP. But we're here with, uh, I'm Professor Dave Philp. We're across from Philip Gorachowski. Yep, and yep. on my personal right is Dr. Esteban Marconi, that is right. I and, is here. Yeah, that's right. He is here. So uh, we're, we have your tweets in a second, but uh, we wanted to. We were uh, during the break. We were talking about unions and and uh, a situation that we wanted to do kind of the setup for it. And uh, Steve, yeah, you we wanted, thought yeah. it'd be nice if sort of um, 
let's say you get the call to uh, contract a show and let's say it calls for 25 strings and wins and so on and so forth and uh, it's in two weeks <laughs> and what happens in your head or how do you now spin that so that everything occurs at the proper time and yeah. so on and so forth. The first thing that happens is um, after I get a phone call, um, the, the most important things I need to know is uh, are uh, when's the gig, <laughs> yes. when and where, and uh, how much rehearsal time, when the rehearsals. And a lot of the times what will happen once I have all that information is they'll say, I'll say, but um, where are the rehearsals? They'll say, we don't know, find a venue for us. Mm-hmm. So I'll have to go and, and rent a studio. I mean, there's tons of places in New York and New Jersey that sure. I deal with. And I'll go rent a studio, and um, I'll find out exactly what the, the musical selections are mm-hmm. that are required. And if we need a pianist, I have to rent the piano, call a piano tuner, work out the budget, hire the percussion equipment, and then think to myself, um, there are 17 principles in the orchestra. So you have your five your five strings, your first and second violins, violas, cello, and bass, and then oboe, flute, clarinet, mm-hmm. bassoon, trumpet, you know, all the principles who lead the sections. Mm-hmm. And that's where I start is I think of all my principles. And once the principles are in place, I, I um, because I've been doing this a long time, I know the personalities that work well together. Sure. Everybody can play. Mm-hmm. Hey, listen, everybody can play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's about the hang chops. You yes, know, you got to have good exactly. hang chops. You have to be a, a player, of course, but you got to, you just have to know how not to be, you know, um, what could I say here? You, you just can't, can't be, be a you know a struns. You can't be that guy. You can't be that guy. That you know you just can't be that guy. You just got so figuring out how much to pay is part of the union. So I, uh, uh, so scales I, as they would call the fir- it. It's, let's say it's in New York. The first thing I'll do is then go um, onto local eight hundred two website, which is the the local union that governs uh, mm-hmm. the musicians of of New York City and and, and beyond. And um, they have a, a set scale uh, of wages for rehearsals, for principals, for section players, for contractors, for, for everything. For, for a librarian, I'll have to hire a librarian to deal with music, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes things need to be orchestrated. I'll hire an orchestrator, but they have separate rates. Mm-hmm. And then I'll put all this together on an Excel spreadsheet. And to the penny, I'll present it to, um, to, the, to the, my contact, to, to the person who hired right, me. The, and the I'll promoter. say... And I'll the, to the promoter, and I'll say, "This is your budget on the Excel sheet to the penny." And they'll say, "I want to work with this guy again because mm-hmm. the budget says forty six thousand three hundred and seventy two dollars and eighteen cents." People say it's fifty grand, or it's right. forty five grand. They just round right. it up, right. and I don't need more than what's required. And, right. You know, I'm a little bit more expensive now. Um, <laughs> if you want, <laughs> if you want me to work for you, but they know with, and I'm, I feel a little obnoxious or, or egotistical by making this statement, but I've worked very hard to get to the place where mm-hmm. I am. Sure. And if people want me, um, the union re- requires 100% over scale for the contractor or what's negotiable mm-hmm. by both, with, mm-hmm. by both or acceptable by both right, parties. The minimum. What does that mean? 100%, 100% over scale. What so let's say a, a side man for a rehearsal uh, for two rehearsals and a performance is getting $525. I, as the contractor would get $1,050 guaranteed because it's a hundred percent over base scale. Mm-hmm. So let's say you're going to get the 525 and you're a section player and I'm your principal. I get 20% above that or $104. So I get 104 over the 525s because I'm leading the section. Mm-hmm. So I've, And then if you're a cellist and a bassist, you get cardage. And right. all of this is spelt or out. Doubling and so The on. union takes... Cardage. What's Car- that, what's that oh, mean? cardage. I'm sorry. So cardage means that um, um, because, because the basses and cello are so big and the percussion instruments are so big... 
uh, they might not have access to be able to take a train or a bus, so they have to take their car. They're being mm-hmm. forced into taking their car, and we have to give them compensation for traveling with their with their instrument. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a cool gig, kind of. The harpist always gets cartage, or you pay your mileage, or mm-hmm. you know, fifty five cents for each mile she travels. Mm-hmm. But all of that is governed by the union, and and the things that are in the union contract were put in place because something screwed up in the past, and this fixes all of that nonsense. You know what I mean? Yes. So <laughs> it fixes, and it just spells it out. Every every three years, there's usually a, a new negotiation, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, a new collective bargaining agreement, so to speak, and and new rates and so forth, and and they go up. So now, as devil's advocate, do you hire non-union musicians with union musicians? I mean, no. There's no reason to. Is New Jersey a right-to-work state? Yes, it is. I should put the caveat in now that I was a vice president of the musician. I could tell with that question. (laughs) For seven years, so. It's the problem. Of course. I'm playing devil's advocate. No, uh, it's a great question, and I respect that. But people want to know when to join the union, which will be my next question to you. The time to join the union is when you start working. As soon as when you, st- you can afford to pay the dues and not break the laws. <laughs> that's that's right. what I tell them. Yeah, that's very true. That's a great statement, actually. That's, when you can afford true. to pay the dues and not break the yeah. laws. We we have a policy at the at the symphony, at New Jersey Symphony, that if you play 30 services, 3-0, 30 services or more, you must join our local. Mm-hmm. If you're a member of the New York local, that's that's fine. Right. So because we pay pension money. Okay. It's uh, up to 30? Wow. 30 services. Yes, 30 I services. Know. But that... You're already are already a New York Union member. Like if you live in the city, and but if you're working with us in New Jersey, I for I don't force you, but it's you must join our union. <laughs> and it stinks on some level because the dues are like two hundred and twenty five dollars in New York. I think we're at one sixty. Mm-hmm. So now you're paying four hundred bucks roughly for for the privilege of being called to work, and it's like four hundred bucks a year plus. I'm taking two and a half percent of your entire paycheck and That's giving it. it to the union for dues. That's work permit, right? You know, but but now well, think about that. I'm sorry. Think about that for a second. That we hire on an average every week eighty five musicians to be on the stage at Prudential Center. And the dues from all of those people for eight services, think about how much money that is, mm-hmm. goes to the union. Who do they love? They love me. Mm-hmm. Of course they love me because I'm the guy who's in charge of making sure that money goes to the union, which is putting heat in their, <laughs> their building right. and so forth. Now, musicians normally say, why should I join a union? They don't get me any work. And, and of course, I just told you what I, what I had done for seven years. But I never knew we were an employment agency as well. You know, in the old days, (laughs) seriously, the old days, I mean, in the good old days, I'll put it that way, um, you would go to the union for work. Yeah. People would call up and say, hey, I need a saxophone player. And and this is where the rule about speaking bad about somebody else, it came from the bar scene. It came from from the club club dates where, where, you know, Joe would be playing his trumpet and say, hey, yeah, you know, Phil was in here last night. He stinks. He stinks. Because he got $55 to play and the other guy only got 30, whatever. Who knows? Right. But you're not allowed to speak. And the Federation came in and said, enough of that nonsense. Mm-hmm. You can't speak bad about him, and he can't speak bad about you. But it's interesting, you know, when you uh, call a union plumber, Yeah, you know when that union plumber comes mm-hmm. that no matter what's broken, they're going to fix because they've had this apprenticeship and so on. Yes. And then in the 40s or early 50s, when rock and roll came in, Musicians unions stopped giving theory tests and yeah. and playing tests yeah. because they knew they're going to lose all this money right. from all these Nashville guys or whomever and that didn't about, read but played great. And it's all about money. You know it. Of it, course. It comes down to the buck. So consequently, you can hire a union 
musician and a non-union musician, and the non-union musician could, in his field, be the, better than the, than there's, the union. There's no musician. doubt about that. There's no doubt about it. The problem, the problem as I see it, is that um, I just can't hire you. I just can't. Yeah. Because what happens? I have a responsibility in the state of New Jersey to pay pension if you work for me at the symphony or anywhere else that I'm going through the through the union, New York or New Jersey. I have to pay you the, the proper rate. I could overpay you, but yeah, I have to pay you a basic scale. rate. It's the minimum. The right. minimum. This right. is the minimum, minimum scale. And mm-hmm. and that means that you have to be vested in our in our pension program. And the, the thing about our, our pension program is it runs throughout the entire United States. Mm-hmm. So if I worked in L.A., the money that I make in L.A., the pension that I get there, it's something like 16.35% now, right. goes to the New York Union. So right. it all, all the money ends up there. But um, I yeah, just can't right. hire non-union players. I just... Right. I just can't do it. Now, a okay, a rock gig, four-hour rock gig on a Friday night, uh, Sideman, guitar player, what what would roughly, what's the scale for I, I mean, you know, I don't do those club dates. I don't book for them. So I, I'll use a little bit of a different example because I don't want to avoid the question. But um, I book for Johnny Mathis, who's right. who's now 78 years old and still singing his butt mm-hmm. off. Um, eating, he eats a steak, right? And oh, yeah. <laughs> I got good Johnny stories. He eats a steak and like an entire steak dinner an hour and a half religiously an hour and a half he has a very before, serious method right? about what he does and yeah. it's in his uh, what do they call this rider he's got a yeah. rider with us yeah. and, and it's got to be like a 16 ounce like T-bone <laughs> and like and it's got to be an hour and a half prior to, to like before he does uh-huh. his mate yeah, yeah. and and I just know him I've been working for 15 years 14, 15 mm-hmm. years and <laughs> anyway I, I digress we got all the, the Chuck Berry stories and everything else oh my gosh all in the book right yeah buy yeah. the book Onward and Upward Ginelli you know Amazon Amazon has been really good with me because um, uh, I like hardcover books but you know, mm-hmm. I'm just richer than the than the rest. But I enjoy to hold my hardcover, and Amazon cranks out the soft cover and the ebook mm-hmm. at, at a really good rate. But the hardcover, it's on them um, to produce, mm-hmm. and they keep producing for me. It's been a really nice relationship I've had. So with we them. want to do the rapid fire tweet questions, but if you would like to answer this question first, I don't remember what it was. I'm, I'm well, so distracted. Was, I'm I so trying, distracted. I was trying to get to the rock oh. musicians listening, mm-hmm. and what would they get if they were a true union? And the band was True Union, and it played the Stone Pony or any club yeah. for four hours on a Friday night. You know, to 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 play to to hire a rock band probably would not go through the union. It no, I know that, but I'm just wouldn't. saying this is the as you know, the union is trying yeah. desperately to yeah, stop the pay for play. If it was um if it was if it was a a, a string quartet going to do the same thing mm-hmm. for four hours, um, they would probably receive without any benefits. Um, like four seventy five probably four hundred seventy five thousand. I bet you the per entire person. band per person per person the entire sure. band sure. doesn't come to a third of that. The entire band has to sell thirty five or forty sell, tickets. Has to sell that money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, then, but this yeah. is the but then you know this is the protection that we have from mm-hmm. the union, right? Yeah. And and this is this is one of the these are one of the benefits that that we well get yes for our dues. For any right union is only as strong as its weakest link. You're absolutely correct. So if no one played. The question is always, would you have live music if everybody decided they wouldn't play? Would the club still have live music? I know. I, he's I, making a lot of faces we because can, we've been through this. We, we've, we've lived through this I whole I did this 30 years ago, and right. he's, been th- he's, he's still going through it. Yeah. Last but question, it we is, got rapid tweets. Oh, it sorry. is that serious question. You should yeah. have me back. We should talk more it is about a very this. We do, that. Um, we do have a whole whole lot of tweets that want to get to. Let's the, go. the first one, and, and because we were talking about the unions, it was, it's from Schneidly Midley. 
How do New York Union musician policies differ from New Jersey Union musician policies? It's very, uh, very slightly, and it, it, it varies from union to union. It, it's a good question, but uh, very little. But New York Union generally pays a little bit more money mm-hmm. than the than the Jersey unions. Unless you get down towards Atlantic City, then you you have a competitive rate. Okay. Mike Womack, Devana Aprovado, Tim Geisen, Bianca Russo, they all want to ask you about organization. Because everything, I mean, you mentioned the spreadsheet earlier and down to the penny, but talk about how you okay. organize all, right. all this. Remember, I'm a percussionist. And and I know that you say, who cares, you're a percussionist, but, but think about it. When I go to play a pop show, and I'm not just playing timpani or I'm not just playing snare drum, I'm playing maybe... Uh, 15 18 instruments mm-hmm. it's i have to lay it out um my logistics of that of the process it, 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 i move so quickly in my brain that i i have to set it up in a way where i can move my hand to the right or left with the right stick at the right time and it's this whole organizational um process that goes on in order for me to do my job effectively it's no different than hiring an orchestra because I have to use all the same components mm-hmm. and just I'm a, a very um, uh, meticulous thinker in, in I this. can attest to that <laughs> um, and, and I'm frustrated by people who who don't care I don't care if they're as meticulous as I am but I, I it bothers me when people don't care mm-hmm. that they're falling apart because I just want to help them I'm not out to hurt them mm-hmm. so I think that the idea is that you have to have the vision not where I am right now but where do I have to be on Monday and what orchestra is going to be where? There are, there are many, this is a great question because there's many times where I have two or three orchestras out at the same time, at the same day, you know, at three mm-hmm. different venues. Mm-hmm. And I have to subcontract it out. I, I do all the hiring, but then I deal with my clients. I say, you know, my guy Jason's going to be my point man here, and my guy Daniel's going to be my point man there. Mm-hmm. And they have to trust me. Mm-hmm. And that comes over years of, of doing what I do. One of my favorite analogies, um, you you always say over and over, is it's like a train passing by, and there's only one door open, and you got to jump on it before it passes. And I feel like that applies to almost anything in the music industry. You just got to jump on the on the train when mm-hmm. it passes by. And, and that's a great, it's, uh, you know, that's my analogy. That's, so that's yeah. if you jump too soon or too late, you're going to get splatted. Mm-hmm. You have to jump. You have to have precision thinking, and and that will be the thing that separates. The, the 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 wannabe people to the ones who who make it successful in life. Mm-hmm. You can't think I'm gonna. I'll leave you with this thought also on on that topic. Is my father um, left me with a, a, a great thing many many years ago. I was 13, 14 years old. He said, um, "When you decide what it is you want to do with your life, take a picture of yourself and put it on the wall. So every day when you wake up." You see yourself. This is where I want to be. So when I made my debut at Carnegie Hall at 16 years old with the New York Youth Symphony, I had someone take a picture, and I put it up on my wall. It's it's still there to this day. This is what I want to do. I was a kid, and that's my vision. And that's the way I believe. If, If you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to be a successful person in any field, you have to have the vision, not where you are now, but where you want to be, and you have to see it. You just have to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and your wall's color, covered. You've got the uh, uh, the Tale of Two Cities that you oh, on Broadway. Yeah. You, you were involved in Broadway. Um, the, yeah, the, the, just... broad, the Broadway thing was the funny... It was the, I, 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 did I write it? I don't remember if I wrote it. Yes, I, you did, because <clears throat> I want to get into that, because Nadia Karani asks, how do you uh, manage your time you know, from, <laughs> from, from being a performer and also uh, doing all the scatter? And in the book, you talk about A Tale of Two Cities, yeah. and at the same time, you're going to Switzerland. You're doing Switzerland <laughs> yeah, and Florida. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so yeah. managing the time there, there and was, managing um, that uh, life. Uh, this, I know that we have to wrap it up, but this is, this is, a, a, this is another great sensational story that... that um, I'm working 
full time. I'm working full time at New Jersey Symphony. Mm-hmm. I'm talking full time, like a ten o'clock rehearsal in the morning, and then um, the next day a ten o'clock and a a one thirty rehearsal, mm-hmm. and then the next day a ten o'clock and then performances. But at the same exact time, the ten o'clock rehearsal ends at twelve thirty, and at uh, at at it was like two fifteen flight on JetBlue, I believe. I would take the flight down to Sarasota. And I was opening up at the Oslo Theater, A Tale of Two Cities. And the next morning at 6 a.m., I would be taking the flight back to Newark, and I would do my 10 o'clock rehearsal. Right. And then at, at, at 2.15 the same day, I'd go back down to Florida. And right. I did that 18 times. Wow. 18 times. <laughs> and the money was worth it. I assume with your meticulous mind, you realized that you were still going to make money. Oh, I, I made a lot of money. But it wasn't only about the money. It was about um, my, when my boss from the symphony would call me up. She had no idea where I was, and I would just act as normally as I could and say whatever it is. Because, you, you know, this is the day and age of cell phones and, and mm-hmm. Skyping. Nope, no big deal. Okay. And I got my work done. I was exhausted by the <laughs> end of it. But um, budgeting your time out is really incredibly important. Um, most of us have more time than we think, and we're, we're, we, we generally waste exactly. tons of time. Sure. Tons. Sure. Joelle wants to know what the mo- what do you think the most important part of your book Onward and Upward is that you think would benefit people the most? That's a great question. Thank you for asking that. Um, I think it's a great story of of uh, drive, of determination, of of desire, of passion, and I think that that holds true in any field we're in, not just in music. It could be I, I don't care in the arts, not in the arts. Again, it's about having the vision and about seeing. Um, the road and trying to walk as straight as you can on this road, you know, mm-hmm. and, and finding your way. And there's a zillion, I, I, I promise you, there's a zillion ex- examples of that road that I took, which was bumpy at times, but ultimately I found my way. Okay. Uh, Jenny wants to know, in terms of, of, especially like the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra, suppose somebody just doesn't show up. What do you mean suppose? What do you mean suppose? You know, do you have stand-ins? Do you have uh, thanks, emergency Jenny. people? Um, well, I mean, when they just don't show up, there's very little I could do, but but they're responsible people and they do show up. If they don't show up, they got caught in a subway, they got caught in some horrific scene that uh, cut act them out of, of sort You know, an act of God. <laughs> and, and I give, if they're good people, which they all are, they have gimmies and I know their personalities and I know what they do. But, but for... Um, I've been in, in positions where at 8.30 in the morning, um, my principal oboe would call up and say, you know, my son, his nose is bleeding and he needs to be cauterized again. I have to get him to the hospital. And it's 8.30 for a 10 o'clock rehearsal. Mm-hmm. So my sub pool is, is vast. It's huge. But in, I have an emergency sub pool. And those are the people who live um, in, let's say, Bogota or, or Teaneck. And I know I can get them there in 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've, in, in my 11 years as personnel manager and my 30 years as a contractor, I have never not been able to fill a chair ever in my career um, at the last minute. Well, people wow. want to get there. This is their... their and they want to work. I, and I'm not being boastful about right? it. It's an opportunity for mm-hmm. them and they want to work for me because I'm connected with, with what they want to be doing with their life. And mm-hmm. I've been blessed. I've been blessed with this career, really. It's that, great. That, that's great. And I'm going to give you the final question because then we need to talk about our contest winner. So we're right, going to wrap this part. Contest. Yes. <laughs> so uh, final, this is from Raiko uh, Takahashi. And she mentions how you've done so much in your career. And you just mentioned your vision, but um, were there parts of your career that were just were open to opportunity that you didn't necessarily plan, Abs- and you saw the opportunity and you were able to take it and yeah. go in that direction? There's a, there's actually um, a, a chapter in the book. That's such a great question. Thanks for asking it. There's a, a chapter in the book called "Opportunities Knocking," 
And um, it was about, uh, if I remember, being in the right place at the right time. But not only that, but then recognizing that that there was a the, the silver platter was right in front of your nose. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, so I was able to to take that and, and run with it. Mm-hmm. Like I said before. You never know who you're going to meet. Uh, you never know. You know, try to live your life not pissing people off. You know, try to be nice to the guy next to you. Or tell this woman she has nice hair. Or, you know, on the bus that, mm-hmm. that you know, make conversation, smile. You know, random acts of kindness. They go a long way. Right. We run the um, in the car on our way here, and we were talking about where I see myself five years from now. And then you said, well, when I was your age, <laughs> you know, it was all about music. It was all about playing, yeah. performing. And then you wound up just landing this gig and yeah. you would have never thought that you would have been contracting mm-hmm. music. That's right. And so I feel like for people who um, who see their path and say, this is exactly what I want to be doing, chances are it's not exactly what you're going to be, be doing. It could be a smokescreen, right? It could be, you know, so um, it, you never know when where life is going to take you. Just like that passing train, you have to be ready. Right. You have to be ready and, for and, it. You have to be ready. The gun is cocked constantly. Yeah. And when that, that opportunity comes, you just spring. You just mm-hmm. jump. You know, mm-hmm. there's if you don't if you don't put yourself out there, you'll never know what's going to work and what's not going to sure. work. So, sure. good luck, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> good luck. So, we want to thank Jim Nelia for being here tonight. Can I clap for Jim? And there were a bunch of lessons that you're going to listen to the podcast and hear them. I'm going to recap a few real quick. One thing is, uh, you just recapped it, is that you never know who you're going to meet. You also mentioned don't burn bridges. Uh, you talked about what the difference between a contractor and a personnel manager is. Uh, we talked about how important it is at times to keep your mouth shut, <laughs> even though at times it's very important to open that mouth and, and speak. And then finally, we were just talking about the vision of where you want to be and open yourself to opportunity. But to me, the most important thing that I learned is that the plural of cello is celli. <laughs> I'm a good Italian. What do you want <laughs> There we go. So, um, cello we, uh, and jelly? What? Jello and jelly. <laughs> that's good. Jello and jelly. I, the, the book Onward and Upward is Amazon is I mean, that's my favorite place to go to buy anything, so that's probably the place to go to. Hardcover, soft cover, electronic, everything's available there. Yeah, I like that you know, book. And my, if I if I can, my website, I have my it's my name. My website is, is Gymnalia at, at uh, dot com. And if you write me mails, I'll I'll answer them. I, I answer everybody's email. Happy to do so. And Gymnalia N E G L I A. So Gymnalia dot com. Don't forget the G. Leave the last G off for savings. <laughs> so we're at the point where we want to talk about the music yes. biz one oh one and more theme song contest. I am chomping at the bit. Why don't you, Steve, why don't you talk about just briefly about how we came what how we went through the process and how we came up with our winner? Well the idea very simply was to do something original and do something that would be catchy and that we would would be memorable. And we put it out there for submissions and we received fifteen or fourteen I think it was 15 submissions from submissions, all over the country. And we have a winner and a runner-up, actually, don't right. we? Right, yeah. We wanna, why don't you want to begin with uh, our honorable mention? Honorable mention. Yes, um, which will be played when? Well, we, and it was our, actually already played during the show. Yes, if you it were was. listening, you heard our, our good friend Tim Geisen did a 30 second jingle, basically mm-hmm. promo for the show called Music Biz 101 and More. And we liked it so much that we we're going to play it every um, every show during the break. It's a perfect song. It sums up exactly what we're here doing. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, a, it's a great song, and you're going to hear it, and we're going to make a video uh, for that. And you don't have a cle- queued up, do you? I, I don't have a queued up. I have next <laughs> song queued up. I have the winner queued up. Give him but, all this praise. I know. But he, he's a what wonderful boy. What did he do boy. for the last hour? <laughs> I saw him eating McDonald's. <laughs> so we now have then the winner, don't we? The winner is by a band. Is that keyed up? That yes. Is queued up. That, yes. That is, that I'm going to play that on the way out. So right. slow so your So it will now be bookends for our show. 
Right. It for, for at least a year. Okay. <laughs> and this band, which is a new band fronted by uh, a, a lead singer who goes to William Patterson University. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody else in the band is a graduate student in the William Patterson yes. University, which is where we are, Music Biz 101 and more. And should we just say the name of the band and the name of the song? Sure. Why not? Why not? The winner of the contest is... Get the two percussionists here and the trumpet player. You want to do any? No. Okay, the winner is a band called The Big Beat, and the song is called The World Is Ours. And we'll play that short you uh, for that shortly. But the winners, uh, by winning that, they are going to be co-host of the Music Biz 101 and More show in the next year on January 14th. Our special guest that day will be Lauren Marsh, who is also a graduate of the pop program at William Patterson. Lauren is an independent musician who's doing some awesome things that she's going to talk about. All, all the things she's done since she graduated and how she's making a living as a musician mm-hmm. and all the marketing and, and things that she's done for herself. And then the co-host will be probably Allison and Caleb from The Big Beat. Ron will mention to uh, Tim Geisen, who at some point right. will also be on the air. And we Definitely. should mention that uh, uh, Tim, I'm sorry, Allison and The Big Beat uh, will also be on Philip Gorkowski's show mm-hmm. at, at 7 p.m. the night of January 14th as well. Yes. So we'll, we'll make sure that their calendars are clear. Right. Mm-hmm. We're, uh, they're going to be the front and end of our show for a year. We're going to make a video with them. They're mm-hmm. going to be loved and, and supported. Good stuff. Deeply on MusicBiz101WP.com. So tweet your congratulations to them. And we are now going to listen to The World Is Ours by the Big B. Jim Nellia, thank you one more time for being My here. My pleasure. Thanks. Bill Gorkowski, <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. Dr. Esteban Marconi, thank you very much. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Music Biz 101 and more. On the 14th. See you next year. Bye-bye. Adios!